Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and new Keller Williams agent. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group's about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No sales from the front and no smell of stale coffee, Bengay, and or disappointment. You know what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting things done and they pick their brain for your entertainment and hopefully education. And if you enjoy this podcast, give it a like, share it. It really does help. If you really enjoy it, if you wouldn't mind rating it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever app you use, that would really help. If you have any questions or suggestions, please leave a comment or send me a message at renegadedetroit.com. If you are interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors, facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess or go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And yes, now you can hit me up on Snapchat. Jeremy Burgess, hit me up on Snapchat. All right. I'm on Instagram is Jeremy Burgess as well. All right. Legal disclaimer. It's where we live in, folks. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment or investment decisions, you contact a lawyer, an attorney, and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't sue me. All right. Show quote of the week. Time for the Renegade Detroit Investors show quote, where I try to pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And I don't know Jeff that well, so hopefully I did okay. If I didn't, it was not his fault. It was me. The true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit. Nelson Henderson. The true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit. And let me introduce you to my guest, Jeff Adams, P3L3C. So that's People, Planet, Profit. It's a social enterprise. So he wrote this. Um, I tried to edit it so it didn't sound like I was reading it, but it was so good I wanted to include it all. So it's not me, all right? Uh, he felt called to move to Brightmore to be more a part of it, and that's in Detroit, to be connected with the families that are supported by City Mission. So we are a part of their community, and I'm a part of that community too. I'm not technically in Brightmore. I'm just north of it by about a half a mile. Um, Jeff has a BS in business administration for the University of Tulsa, graduated in 1977, hailing from a farming town in Iowa. Jeff worked with Reynolds and Reynolds, a company that offers automotive software to dealerships for 27 years. He held various marketing and sales positions throughout the years. When he was transferred to the automotive capital, Detroit, his life's path changed. He began to volunteer with City Mission in 2001. In 2003, Jeff and his wife, is that Dana? Dana, Okay. Took a, I, didn't, I should have asked you before. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to mispronounce her name. Hey, we're doing it live. Yeah. Took an awakening mission trip to Recife, Brazil, to work with poverty-stricken children. It was then that Jeff realized he did not have to travel across the globe to help children in need. He took a more intentional role in serving under-resourced children in his own area. Jeff, a father of three, college-age children moved from the suburbs into the Brightmore neighborhood in order to serve as a director of development where he can influence the lives of children on a daily basis. Jeff acts not only as a director of development, but interacts with youth on a daily basis. His position as director of development goes far beyond raising funds and recruiting volunteers. Jeff can be found mentoring, teaching, and praying with his neighbors around the clock. 
27 years ago, Jeff would never have expected to be doing this. He is on God's path and states, we do not want to be takers anymore. We want to be givers. Jeff recognized at the break, the chains of generational poverty required more than educating children. It takes a household of strong parents or parents that are emotionally and financially able to care for their household. And that's where the second part of this comes in, where he launches Artesian Farms, a socially for-profit enterprise. In June 2014, P3E L3C launched Artesian Farms, a controlled agricultural project. The farm is a vertical hydroponic farm, which utilizes not just the square footage of the building, but the cubic dimension as well. That's 3D, folks, not 2D. Artesian Farms is a social enterprise that creates profit to sustain the business at the same time, brings blighted buildings back to productive use, employs Detroiters at an equitable wage, creating financial stability for families and protects the environment. Controlled agriculture uses 92% less water with no water runoff and uses no chemical fertilizers or pesticides and only non-GMO seeds. The slogan grow Grown in Detroit, for goodness sake, is more than a slogan. It is what we are. You check out Jeff, and I highly encourage you to go to artesianfarms.com. You can also go on facebook.com forward slash artesianfarmsdetroit. Hit him up on Twitter at artesianfarms. Thanks for coming out, Jeff. Thanks, Jeremy, for having me here this afternoon. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, no problem. I'm pretty excited about this. So sorry for the long introduction, folks, but Jeff is not a young man. He's starting like another career and he's got all this energy and he has a long and varied life. So there was a lot to share. Yeah, I'm uh, well, well over 60 now and uh, starting a whole new career. Um, but it's something I've just been called to do. And uh, my wife and I have lived here now for about 14 years and uh, just see a lot of opportunity in, in the whole food production, food growing and getting fresh you know, produce locally. So, Well, I'm fascinated about what I know you, you transferred jobs here, so you're working for a subsidiary of the auto industry supplying something, right? right. Software? Yeah, I was, I was supplying uh, uh, ERP systems to the retail channel for the automotive world and uh, worked for that for 27 years. And then just a series of events led me to Brightmore and, and then you know to give up that career and, and chase a different path in the, in the nonprofit world. And, uh, you know, nonprofits work well when there's money to be raised. Uh, when the money's not there, it's it gets a little bit more difficult. So when I decided to pr- make a for-profit business where we're relying upon what we do and not on what we can get from you know, the foundations and things of that nature from a grant perspective, uh, so we can make money. I mean, we can produce product and employ people. So when did you move into Brightmore? Uh, we moved to Brightmore in 2003. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, Build a house straight close to Stople Park, or in fact, right next to Stople Park. Yeah. So. That's literally like four years, and we live like a mile and a half apart from yeah. each other. So I actually live in a park called, if anybody's paying attention or even cares, Old Redford. And although right. I think it was class, reclassified for voting for, as Brightmore, but yeah. it's not Brightmore. Nobody will ever call it Brightmore. No, it's, all, it's Old Redford. That's, that's not how it works out here. It'll be Old Redford for Forever. another 500 years. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> even though it's Detroit and yeah. not Old Redford at all. Yeah. Um, so you felt called, um, Brightmore for those listening who don't know, it's a part of Northwest Detroit, which was thrown up very quickly. I believe, uh, 
post World War II, right? Late forties, no, exactly early fifties. It, it actually dates back to when Henry Ford was employing people for five dollars a day, uh, and the, it was a migration from you know the southern states to uh, Detroit. And Brightmore happened to be one of those, and they would build these homes, you know, seven, eight hundred square foot homes. They could put these things up in a matter of days, and so I was able to provide at that time really nice housing as that first step out of what they were living in to what they could have here and then eventually create enough income to where they could move into other places like Grandmont Rosedale and and other places in Detroit. So Yeah, a lot of poor black and white sharecroppers from the South came up, get into the automotive industry. My understanding is these houses weren't particularly built to last either. no they weren't uh and you can see that you can see the remains you know you have, you have houses that are over you know probably somewhere anywhere from 80 to 100 years old and um there's still people living in them but for the vast majority of them they've been either uh are vacant or they've been demolished and there's been a big demol- a demolition project going on in brightmore for the last three years and literally hundreds of homes have been taken down in our neighborhood yeah, you you literally picked one of the most challenging areas of Detroit. And I don't think that was an accident, right? You did that on purpose, right? Yeah, I mean it was it was uh, it, it was intentional. Um, you know, my wife and I, you know, we went on a, on a mission trip through our church to Brazil, and uh, it kind of was an eye opening experience uh, to work with children that live on the street. Um, and uh, we got on the plane coming home and said, if we can do that seven thousand miles from here. What can we do in our own backyard? And our team had um, that we went to Brazil had done some volunteer work in the Brightmore area with City Mission. Okay. So when we uh, returned, we had a natural connection into City Mission. So we started, you know, volunteering there, mentoring and tutoring uh, young people. And uh, my wife's an educator, and they, the leadership at City Mission asked her to come and start developing curriculum. Uh, for the tutoring program so she did that and uh, so we were we were living in rochester at the time and uh, so she would drive down here every day and you know just one thing led to another and you know, things start adding up and she's you know we heard a, a, a sermon from a, a pastor in denver colorado where my wife's from and his, his sermons are all about nehemiah and now nehemiah came back from babylon to rebuild the walls of jerusalem and he said the same thing is going to happen in major cities around this country. People are going to come back. Leadership is going to come back into the inner city and establish a leadership role. And that just spoke to us. And so we uh, put our house in the market, sold in a couple of days, moved to Brightmore, and uh, made a foolish decision at the time to build a house yeah. in 2003. Uh, we should have just bought a house that was here and been happy with it, but, you know, we we weren't. We build a house, and you're in the real estate business. You know what? Yeah, you know, we're yeah. Be, was, we're that be was up, unfortunate timing. We're going to be upside <laughs> down for a long time in that house. So. Probably another twenty years, I would guess, yeah. in Brightmore, unless something amazing happens. Yeah, it, we've gotten over that heartburn. So yeah, it is a nice house, at least from the outside. I haven't been on the inside, but yeah, it's it's a nice house. You have a you probably have the best house, at least the best built house in Brightmore. So. Well, yeah, there's no doubt about that. So. Yeah, but you know, there's, I don't know. It's just one of those things that you you do and you kind of kick yourself, but you move on. You can't worry about it. So. Well, for me, when I, I moved from Pullman, Washington to Detroit, Michigan, moved right to Detroit, initially to the east side when my wife and I moved here in May 2007. And to say it was a culture shock, um, 
would be would be an understatement. It was almost to me, it almost felt like moving to another country. And I've lived all over the world. Um, obviously, you guys had already done some stuff in Brightmore, and we're, we're already participating with City Mission and all that. Um, how did you adjust to Brightmore life, and, and what was that transition like? Well, I mean, it, it really wasn't as hard as what you would think. Um, and in some ways, it was much easier even than adjusting in the, in the suburbs. And the way why I say that is that living in the suburbs, and we moved all over the eastern two-thirds of the country, when you come home from work in the suburbs, you pull your car in the garage, you go in and you have dinner, watch TV, or you might go to you know sporting events or something like that. You didn't spend a whole lot of time with your neighbors. In Brightmore, it's just the opposite. Yeah, you, you, your your entertainment were, was your neighbors, and so you got to know your neighbors and, and uh, spent more time with them. Um, and so you, you become you know it wasn't that bad of a transition uh, for us anyway. And uh, you know, people that were observing from the outside thought we were lunatics yeah but uh, they probably still do think you're a lunatic. Well, yeah, most, yeah. most of our friends are, <laughs> you know we've been here long enough that they, they realize it but no but they you know they, they really they were they, number one they were concerned uh that we were doing this uh and uh, you know for our safety but you know in the years we've lived here we've had virtually no problems whatsoever i mean we've had our central air conditioning unit stolen but that's it you know so it's yeah, so it really hasn't been that bad of a deal. Well, that's one thing a lot of people don't realize, too, when they're looking at the crime numbers. Most of the crime in Detroit, while it's terrible, is nonviolent. It's theft, like your yeah. car gets stolen or your house gets broken into, yeah. which, don't get me wrong, is bad. But in general, is not a safety problem. But I don't think people necessarily, they don't look. They just go, ah, bad. Yeah. yeah so, And I think... We and, might be lunatics, Jeff. And, it's you possible. Know, you, you, you just, you're more aware. I mean, you, you just are more aware of your surroundings when you're doing things. You know, so. It does force you, I found. Um, I naturally like to talk to people and make friends, but there was a little extra incentive to get to know your neighbors quicker in Detroit because mm-hmm. they're the ones who are literally watching your back. Well, so. I mean, our, our, our block, we have our houses back up. We, have, we live on Auburn and our, some neighbors live on Plainview. All of our yards back up and our the entire perimeter is fenced in, but the individual lots are not fenced in. So we've got seven or eight households that have open backyards. And so it just, it, it, it creates community. That's and, awesome. And yeah. so one, you know, one family has a, a, a above ground pool and, you know, another, you know, we got the tennis courts right there. And, and so just a lot of things go on that you just, you know, because you create that and you create the community that you want to have and it's worked out. Yeah. Somewhere along the line though, you're like, all right, I'm helping out. Your wife's tutoring. Uh, weren't you involved with the? Uh, uh, was it the Brightmore Alliance? Or? Yeah, I've uh, I've been involved with the Brightmore Alliance. Well, as a member since we moved down here, uh, but on the on the board, I've uh, been on the board for the last six or seven years. I'll be going off the board here in April. Um, but I uh, was the president, you know, for for two years. I've been the treasurer for a couple of years, and you know, the Brightmore Alliance has uh, has helped create community in in brightmore and old redford and and uh uh it really has worked to bring individuals together and organizations and stakeholders together to improve um you know the the surroundings for for families and for children it's been supported in a lot of ways uh financially through the skillman foundation the max marjorie fisher foundation uh to support a staff of three people uh we've had you know 
very good leadership of that for the original, you know, we, since I was involved with the original executive director was Kurt Mays, who's now the CEO of Forgotten Harvest. Uh, currently it's Pastor Larry Simmons, who has been a longtime community, uh, person, uh, you know, back to the Coleman Young, uh, Coleman Young days. And they just have fostered a very great, you know, community building effort. Uh, and, you know, we've ra- you know, raised money to, demolish buildings on our own uh we two or be i guess it'd be almost three summers ago uh we cleared blight in a hundred acres uh be, you know around burt road and linden uh and for the first time you could actually see seven blocks all the way through and see you know from burt road all the way over to outer drive and from linden all the way down to outer drive as it runs east and west and it's just an open field now it's, it's beautiful and and pastor simmons calls it the the irish hills of detroit because you, for the first time <laughs> you can see these rolling undulating you know hills that you couldn't see before because of all the debris and you know whether it be non-structural blight or structural blight um, but those are just things that we've done in the community, uh, that really has helped bolster the, the, the environment. It's helped improve the safety of the environment. Um, three years ago, they, they, they built a brand new school and there's a lot of talk. They were going to close down Brightmore and they were going to move everybody in Brightmore to Herman Gardens to do housing complex. I remember. There. I was like, that is never going to happen. And all of a sudden, the school district you know, passes a $500 million bond issue and they build a $26 million school at Gompers Elementary School, brand new school. Brightmore's not going anywhere with that school right there. No, and they've got that, they've got great leadership there. Uh, Principal Posey uh, is just does a remarkable job. You know, she uh, done a great job with getting the kids, the families all working together there. So we have got a lot of really neat things going on, you know, in, in Brightmore. Of course, Brightmore's connected to Grandmont Rosedale, which is one of the more vibrant communities in the, in the city of Detroit, where we are right now. Yeah, exactly, and always growing so, Detroit. So that there's a working relationship between the staff of uh, GDRC and the Brightmore Alliance. Uh, we interchange, interact uh, a lot together and uh, work on projects together. Uh, and we share that common park, that Stopel Park is a common you know, bond for all of us. So and that is a great park, too. It is a great park. I don't know if you know, there's a couple apple trees in there. I'm not telling anybody where. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you were into wild foraging, yeah, they're, there were some apple trees in that park, and they were delicious. So yeah, There's a lot of acorns in there, too. Yeah. Uh, that's a little harder for me to eat. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Gina and I first moved here, and we couldn't, hand, we couldn't hang on the east side. That was a little too rough for us, especially for my wife. Um, we lived on McKinney Street initially, and... We, we were thinking about Brightmore, and it's actually one of my regrets. Because in 2007, Brightmore was just a, a smidge too wild, especially for my wife. I felt like I could wing it. And the, the farming thing, which I am just in love with, I love farming. I have a small, very small, less almost an acre urban farm outside, not, not like what you're doing. And I would love to be there now. I really the, – the transformation uh, since 2007 to 2016 is – absolutely amazing it's it doesn't even look like the same place anymore it's uh you know it's i would say probably 2008 was the, probably the bottom of you know the neighborhood but there have been you've been people moving in uh steadily from other parts of detroit uh over on grayfield on the west side by eliza howe park um and then after the financial debacle in 2010, 2011, things really started to pick up in the neighborhood. You know, a lot of the things that went on for, because of the financial situation had stopped. And so we, you know, a lot of the people that had moved out and 
still some scrapping going on, but uh, for the most part, it started picking up in 2010, 2011, and it's just really kind of picked up steam you know, since then. So, and a huge demo effort to oh, yeah. a lot of those. I don't know how many houses were uh, knocked it's, down. It's, but, in the, it's in the several hundreds. I think it's probably. I'm going to probably guess close to 500 homes. And, yeah. You know, five, five or six square mile area. That's amazing. That really improved it. And I got a bunch of friends down there who farm, mm, Jeremy, yeah. Mark, Jill, I mean, uh, uh, Reed, all those people. Reed, you got yeah. you know, Brittany and Kiernan at Breverland Farms. And so there's, and that's really what got me interested in this whole thing in, in artesian farms was, you know, looking at what they were doing and, you know, some of them, you know, like Jill and Michael and, and Brittany and Kiernan are doing this kind of on their own. They're making this, you know, a living doing it as well as other things on the side. I think Michael, Michael and Jill are involved with school at Detroit Community, I believe. Yeah. Um, but the others are kind of relying upon grants. And that's what really got me started. I said, well, if we, you know, how do we make this a four, how do we make this sustainable? Yes, thank you. And to be able to do that, you have to be able to produce year round. And how do you do that? And then you employ people, and you want to do that. So the their their gardening efforts got me looking at the food chain, and you know people that that the food chain's a mess. I mean, oh yeah. If you if you look at the food chain from the farm to your plate, I think there's something like 17 steps in that process, and every step along the way it takes a chunk financially out of it. And every step along the way, it's touched somehow, and the quality of the product degrades. So my thought was the farmer who gets the least amount of money in that supply chain. The least, literally. Yeah. If you can compress that supply chain, the farmer gets more money, and the consumer gets a better, fresher, more nutritious product. Then you got to solve, how do you do this year-round? Because the reason we grow everything in California is they can grow year round. Yeah. Okay. But then they got a truck at 3,000 miles and it's on a truck for seven to 10 days in a warehouse somewhere. So, how do you grow year round in Michigan? That's where we came up with the controlled agriculture and the vertical hydroponic farming. So. And that is a genius idea because what does Detroit have a ton of? Empty buildings. That's right. So, you know, the, the whole idea behind this, we wanted to, we, when we first started P3E, it was an incubator, you know, an idea to be an incubator space for small businesses and that would employ bright more people, bright Moreans or whatever you want to call them. Um, but it kind of changed from being a broader entrepreneurial, you know, incubator to strictly this farm. Um, because there was, I think there's so much value in it. And, uh, so I started searching around for buildings in Brightmore um, because if you're going to employ people in Brightmore, you want to do it in the neighborhood. Why? Because they don't have reliable transportation. Many of them don't have a car, and the bus system is not good enough to get them to a job on a reliable enough basis yeah. to where they can maintain that job. So our idea was find a place in Brightmore where we can hire Brightmore people. And I've worked with you know people now that are ages 18 to 30, so I know several people that age range that are my target employee um, that they can walk to work. And uh, so I started scouring the, the neighborhood and uh, the industrial complex at uh, basically Evergreen or at Southfield Freeway and I-96. Um, there's a, you know m- many businesses in that area. Many of them have been there for 60 or 70 years. Uh, and right now there's, uh, 
is the largest employer in there is Detroit Manufacturing Systems, which makes components for the F-150 pickup truck. Uh, they're right across the street from us. But I found this building, or I actually found a company that was in there that just came in, and it was a company called Camp Industries, and they're out of Grand Rapids, and they make pallets, reconditioned pallets, and things of that nature. And they had the, they bought this big former metal stamping plant. And I just don't think, well, they can't be using all that space. So I went in there, and I talked to the plant manager, and he said, well, we're using all of it. <laughs> and uh, he called, you know, he called me about three weeks later. And he said, hey, you know, when we bought this building, there's another building, an outbuilding that we're not using that you might want to take a look at. And it's 7,500 square feet. That's a lot of square feet. Block building, which is perfect for what we do. Uh, long, you know, channels in the building so we can put up our racking systems. And it was a perfect, you know, place to start and to get this thing off the ground. So uh, we bought the building. You know, it was really inexpensive. And you know, the, when we started doing the, the renovation work, the, one of the contractors said, well, "I don't know what you pay for this building, but you got a brand new roof on it. It's worth about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars." So that, <laughs> that's a blessing. So we didn't pay anywhere close to that. Yeah, roofing's expensive. Yeah, that's up fast. It is, it is, so, so anyway, that's where we started, and we bought the building uh, in twenty fourteen uh, in August of twenty fourteen. And uh, completed the the renovation part of it in March of 2015. We planted our first uh, vertical growing system uh, on Earth Day in uh, 2015, and uh, used that for training purposes and to go out into the marketplace and get consumer feedback. We marketed it at the Grand Mount Rosedale uh, Northwest Detroit Farmers Market. Got great feedback from the customers about the flavor of the product, the longevity in their shelf life in the refrigerator. Um, and then, uh, we took that and went out to retailers and, uh, the first retailer we talked to was, uh, Bushes out of Ann Arbor. They got 15 stores around the, the, the metropolitan area. The meeting lasts about 15 minutes and the purchasing guy said, we're in. Yeah, you know, we're in. <laughs> and so we're in four other stores. We're not in all 15. We just don't have the capacity yet for all 15. Uh, but we're, we started with them, and then we, were, we branched out. We're at the Westbone Markets and the three of their stores, uh, Papa Joe's, uh, Rochester, and uh, Birmingham. And then we just started Whole Foods in Midtown. Excellent. So in, you got a Whole uh, Foods contract, too. And uh, we started out in February. So And all of them want to increase their volume. and just we got to scale our business right now. So. Yeah. So – a lot of people don't realize that that basically a city is a consumption machine. Oh yeah. And and the numbers I looked at, and this is an average, and this is for every city in America, but it might not apply directly to your city. But on average, a city has three days of food and water. Literally three days of food and water. And Detroit is in such a position where everybody leaving and all the open space. That's why I love about the idea. Why not shorten the food chain, right? Because you're right. It is coming from California. It's coming from the south. It's being trucked in. It's being coming from Hawaii. It's coming from Colombia. It's coming from Venezuela, all over the world. They don't, a lot of people don't even realize what fresh spinach tastes like. It's actually sweet. Yeah. Like it, it, when it's been sitting in the, uh, some, in some truck or in an airplane or in a train for seven days, yeah. that's when it starts to have that that bitter taste. Mm-hmm. But if you can get it fresh, it, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Fresh food is, you know, it, 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 you know, it's not only tastes better, but because the way the plants grow, more of the micronutrients are absorbed into the leaf because the, the, the vegetable knows that it's trying to protect its life. It's, it's, create, it's starting to create seeds. And so more of the nutrients go from the root to the leaf. 
and all those micronutrients go into the leaf late as close to the harvest as possible. So when you're harvesting the product, you know, a week to ten days beforehand, those are that's ten days that you're missing of nutrients going into that into that product. Yeah. So when things like kale and chard and spinach that are very high uh, in uh, in nutrients, they're missing out on you know weeks to ten days of nutrients into their leaf. So. Man, that's a lot, lot of work you have going on. Um, also, what I love about what, what you're doing is, and what I don't like about government programs, if people can't get jobs and people can't support their family, and I don't think that's government's job, but that you, you are, I think you are correct in that. How can you take care of a family and how can you have a healthy family if you can't afford to feed your family, keep the heat on, all keep the electric on, your gas bill, all that stuff? really does matter. And what I love about farming is, let's face it, it is a difficult thing to do, but it doesn't require 160 IQ, you know, it's not that it's hard work. It's really hard work. Um, but it's not that difficult really intelligence wise to do. It opens up a whole, a whole, whole opportunities to whole people, whole classes of people didn't even realize they had this opportunity. I mean, I, the thing that's most important for me and what I stress with you know, with the people that I interview or the, and the person I have hired is reliability. That's the number one thing. I want you here. You know, it doesn't have to be 8 o'clock, but you know, I want you here for an eight-hour day. Okay, so I mean, my, the one lady that I have worked for me, she has two children. She has to get them off school, single mom. So 8 o'clock doesn't necessarily work for her, but 9 o'clock does. Okay, so she's there from 9 to 5. Okay, or nine to six, whatever the case may be, but she's there, you know, on time, on schedule, and she's on task for what she's expected to do. She can learn. We can teach her everything she needs to know. Yeah, and, and as long and as you know, she can read. You know, basic reading skills. Uh, she can follow directions. It's, it's everything is it's not complicated. You know, you don't have to learn to code or you know you know do anything like that. You don't have to do sophisticated math problems. You know, you just got to be able to follow directions and and then you do some research. You know, so it's, it works out. So and, and she and she lives a block and a half from where the farm is, and so she walks to work. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Like talk about no commute, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can literally walk right to work. Exactly. So when you were, we were talking before the podcast a little bit too, um, when you were putting this together, you could have gone a couple of different directions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you chose to, to grow hydroponically right. instead of using aquaponics. If you wouldn't mind, could you explain the difference and why you chose the path you sure. chose? Because I think people are interested in this. Uh, well, the, the basic difference between aquaponics and hydroponics is where your nutrients come from. And in aquaponics nutrients come from fish so you have a symbiotic system you have tanks of fish and generally people that are doing this grow tilapia because it's an easy fish to grow not much nutritional value in it and you know it's basically a genetically altered carp and so they but they have fish that creates you know the excrement which creates the nutrients and nitrogen and things for that then are pumped into the growing trays of uh, the vegetables um so that's the main difference with hydroponics you have basic elements that you use that you infuse into the water and you can control those we monitor those with a meter so we know exactly what the pH value is of the water. We know exactly what the electrical charge is, which is driven by the nutrients, by reading the meter. And so if we see any fluctuation on a day-to-day basis, we just take whatever actions we need to take to get the water, you know, 
you know, to, to the right way of doing it or what's going to maximize the growth. You can't do that as easily with fish. The other side of it is the cost to add that component, the, the, the tanks and the plumbing and all of that just adds cost to your system. And there's no, there's very little economic value in the fish. I mean, you can go, you can buy tilapia all day long for two bucks a pound. Yeah, it's and practically free. People that grow it locally have told me that they need somewhere between eight and nine dollars a pound just to break even on the fish. So there's no economic value. It's high risk. If the fish die, you lose your nutrients. You know, if the nutrients, you know, if the excrement clogs up your plumbing system, you lose your plants. So there's just a lot more risk, a lot more expense, with not a whole lot of return. Where we can control it much better, much easily much easier uh, with, you know, doing it hydroponically. So there's some great, there's some great hydroponic growing systems around. I visited one in Milwaukee that was unbelievable. I mean, this is a young guy. He's probably not even, what, even 30 years old, but he's got a company called Central Greens and he built an elaborate aquaponic system. And uh, yeah, I don't know how he's, I haven't visited him. We were there just when he about ready to open. And uh, I don't know how they're doing financially, but it was you know, if, if you're going to do it, that's the way to do it. Yeah, it could yeah. be a little bit more challenging. I know yeah. some people try and grow different fish too, but that further complicates it because not every fish grows as well, is raised as well in captivity. The, the one I, I did hear the other day from talking to somebody, whatever the big goldfish is, there's a certain name for it, karabi or something like that. Mm. And people are using that. They're using those. They're growing those and then selling them to oh, people to put a, in. That's to, an interesting to idea. Put in, to put in ponds and stuff like that. That might be a, a different solution as you might get more economic value out of. I, but I, I just, just, it was just casual conversations. So I didn't really get into it too much. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's amazing how creative you have to get sometimes mm-hmm. to try and make these things work. You right. feel like you're hodgepodge and pieces together. But um, I know a lot of my hippie friends are concerned and I don't know if they necessarily think about the whole chain, right? But you are growing under lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, that obviously takes energy to do. Right. But I think people are forgetting how much energy it takes to transport your food that was grown outside under the sun. Yeah, it, you, have to, you have to look at the enti- entire process. Yes. Okay? And see where your benefits are. And the, the people that are, that are, naysay- are naysayers on vertical hydroponic farming say well let's just use the sun you know the sun's natural let's just use it and they say you you consume so much you know carbon output so much carbon uh as a result of using you know we use in the five units we have grown right now we use about ten thousand kilowatt hours a month which is you know it's pretty good but um so it kind of balances out with what we have as carbon output with what you know carbon output from a you know tractor trailers and farm implements and things of that nature we're probably on the positive. I mean, we're probably on the negative side. We probably use more than what they do from that. But then you got to look at, let's look, talk about water, for example. Yeah. Okay. We can grow a head of lettuce on three tenths of a gallon of water. That's amazing. Okay. In California, where about 90% of our lettuce comes from, it takes seven to eight gallons of water to grow that same head of lettuce. And what's the problem with California? No water. No water. Or the water they're getting now, it's running off to nowhere because it, it the ground can't absorb it. So you think about that, and with water is is equally as important as any carbon output, okay? Uh, and then you also think about in the state of Michigan and protecting our, our tributaries and our lakes, what happens every summer? 
we got algae blooms algae on Lake, bloom, yeah. know, Lake Michigan. Toledo couldn't even drink their water for a period of time because there was so much stuff on it. Where does that come from? It comes from one runoff from farms. A lot of it comes from, We have no runoff, okay? And any, we don't use any chemical fertilizers either for fertilizer or for you know, chemical pesticides. So nothing runs off to create this pollution in our streams, tributaries, and affects our, our planet that way. You don't have that in farming, okay? So you take a look at those two things from an environmental standpoint, and say, okay, what, you know, how's the teeter-totter going? And then you start talking about the human factor in agriculture. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that it's basically yeah. mostly illegal immigrant labor paid practically nothing processing these foods yeah, I mean, as well. You, you could go out and you can look at YouTube and Google something like lettuce farming or lettuce harvesting, and you can see – the backbreaking work that these farm workers do, yeah, okay, for meager wages, okay, whether they're you know here legally or not isn't really the issue. It's that they're being exploited, okay. And right now in the state of Michigan, the apple crop, I believe, was last year. There was a lot of apple crop that wasn't harvested because they didn't have people to harvest. People that live here won't go to do yeah, that they work. Absolutely, will okay? not. Yeah, so. It's difficult work. That's why. Yeah, it is. It's tough work. Very difficult hard work. work. But and so when you, you there's just all kinds of things that you could find on on the the uh, inequity in, in farm labor. You know, on YouTube you'll see it all kinds of it. We pay our f- employees an equitable wage. Okay, we pay them you know almost thirteen dollars an hour. Okay, because I believe that in order to work you need to be able to make you know. Twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars a year, and nobody made you do it, right, and Jeff? You just it. did yeah, it yeah, all on your own. Nobody's, nobody's protesting for for nope. this amount of wage. I just believe it's the right thing to do, and you did. And it, it fits into my business model. Now, not every businessman out there has their business model set up to be able to employ people at thirteen to fifteen dollars an yeah. hour, but that is, you know, so that's just that's just my philosophy, and 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 I think that we can make a, a, a good earning you know, for them. We can make a good profit in our business, sustain the business, and great, great food with that, you know, perfects the environment, brings, you know, blighted buildings back to life. And, uh, and there's a lot of positive things. That's why we say growing in Detroit for goodness sakes. Yeah. Well, I also think, it, I think it's really smart. One of the problems we're going to have, maybe not this generation, but certainly by the next generation, as our population continues to expand is our wild places are shrinking. And anything where we can grow food closer to where most of us live, which are cities, is less land that we will have to claim from the wild. Um, even if we got better at it, shorten the food chain, reduce the carbon emissions, it, it just makes sense. A city is basically completely dependent upon all the farmers around it. So a lot of people don't think of that as a vulnerability. Look at New Orleans after Hurricane mm-hmm. Katrina, and just how vulnerable you really are. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of conversations internationally about who's going to feed the world in 2050 when there's nine billion people <laughs> yeah. instead of seven billion people. And you think about what we're doing here, um, taking that to Africa, where you know it's, it's food is a problem, okay, and being able to grow culturally appropriate food in Kenya that can supply food to, you know, the, the the people that live there. They can't grow it because of the stark conditions of their environment. I mean, this this has big implications, not just for, for us, you know, here, but for internationally, uh and, and feeding the and feeding the world, you know, locally. And it goes so 
Yeah. I, I think it is the future. I think obviously we have a long way to go. Um, better battery technology would help better solar power would help. Mm-hmm. Um, an en- energy miracle would certainly help, but that doesn't look like that's coming anytime soon. We're going to have to do it with what we have and just be better and more efficient. So yeah. when you were putting together, obviously there was some period of time between when you had the idea and when you actually put it together and it's kind of a daunting thing. Cause I met you, I think was it 2014 or was it 13 when I introduced you to the other Jeff, um, I met at the other coffee shop, which shall remain unnamed. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it takes a long time to put something like this together and a lot of work. What was that process like? And if you kind of walk us through it, well, uh, you know, it started off with the, with the whole concept. Okay. And, and getting, you know, and then just, um, understanding the food chain and, and, and determine if there, if there was any opportunity there to begin with. And then, uh, you get into the whole business planning cycle and do, you know, doing the business plan and, and preparing all of that. Um, you know, I worked through, um, I was, was in, uh, participated in 2013 in, uh, the new Detroit, uh, economic or it was a community development, you know, program. And that kind of helped, you know, bring some skills together. Uh, and then there, there was a, a social enterprise, uh, contest, uh, offered by, um, I want to say it was Michigan, Michigan Economic Growth Commission. Okay. Uh, and, uh, they, um, so we participated in that and submitted the business plan. We didn't land in the money to get that, but what we did do is we were one of 10 that were selected, uh, to participate in an, in a, in a fellowship for a year. And, uh, Elizabeth Garlow kind of ran that project and then had a consultant, uh, Rick Taffel. Uh, out of Washington, D.C., uh, uh, Public Square was the name of his, his consulting company. And, he, and he, he consults on social enterprise. And so that really helped crystallize the business plan. So that took, you know, about a year. And um, then, you know, you start shopping for money. Yeah, that was going to say that's the hard part, right? And, you know, it being naive about the financing world. I, you know, I spent several months, you know, uh, chasing banks and, you know, chasing banks after 2010. I don't care what, you know, this is going to sound really negative, but you know, they can promote all they want about supporting small business. Yeah. It's bullshit. They don't start, they don't promote startup businesses. They will not fund startup businesses. I don't care how good a business plan you have. A bank will not take that risk. They're not going to take the money that they're making, you know, X percentage of return on in the stock market. And they're going to do that. You know, so they can sit here and talk all day long that they support. That's not true. That's, I don't believe that. But anyway, one of the acquaintance or person I got to know said, well, you spent about six months just wasting your time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, through my, you know, the, the years living here in Detroit and my background in the business, and uh, I've developed quite a network of people that have a lot of different skills. And uh, one of those, good, a good friend of mine, uh, they started, they, at the same time I was talking to him about investing, because he's an investment banker for an investment company here in town. I was talking to him about investing in a farm. Well, at the same time, he, I was talking to him 
they were he and a couple other people were talking about forming a social venture fund in Detroit, and uh, they started that. And uh, so it kind of, but what that did is it kind of slowed down my capital raise from this one individual, but to get this other program put together. But anyway, that worked out, and uh, they formed this organization. And then my relationship with the Skillman Foundation and with the Max Marjorie Fisher Foundation, I was able to present the business plans to them, and not asking for a grant, but in the in the philanthropic world, they have what they call program related investments or market rate investments, and those are things that they, re, they it's like a loan or an equity investment or something like that. It's not free money, so they were able to be able to. I love that. It's yeah. not free. You got to pay it back and but earn there, it back. Yeah, it's right? very, it, you, you won't find ter- terms like this at a bank. I can yeah. tell you that. <laughs> well, social and, enterprise, right? Yeah. They're not necessarily trying to squeeze every penny at right, you, right? Exactly. So. So anyway, between those folks and then the folks at this investment fund, Impact Impact T3, uh, and th- what they did is they went out and they had you know dozens of people that contributed uh, to this fund, and they were able to fund partially fund our business as well as a couple other social enterprises uh, in town. Uh, uh, Rebel Nell, which is a, a really a unique story uh, down in the Cass Corridor, where Amy has hired uh women that were formerly homeless uh to create jewelry that from the paintings that they pick up off of the, the paint chips they pick off of graffiti sites and they make this really cool jewelry it's really cool. and then uh I'm trying to get her on the podcast yeah, by the way and then I, you mind if i name drop you just to get no, her on fine, here okay fine. thank and you and then uh amy and then there was another lady and i can't remember her name but it's a company called detroit sewn and in a city in detroit there's actually a pretty vibrant commercial sewing businesses and they sew for all kinds of different stuff but just like any skilled labor the folks that are doing that are all retiring yeah and there's nobody backfilling this and there's really kind of a hidden industry but they make like boat covers and they make this and this particular lady ran through this group as impact t3 she's actually making robotics covers for a robotic company here cool and so so it's the time t3 stands for time treasures and talents not just their money it's their treasure and their talent and then uh time treasure and talent and time and so uh you know these guys are different you know got lawyers in there you got investment bankers you got presidents of corporations and they're all there to help out and just give you an example i was at a meeting they have quarterly meetings for all the people they invest in and we were at the three of us were at this meeting and the question they ask each one what can you what can we do for you now and this one lady you know, stands up and i was talking and she said jeff what can i do for you and i said well you can really you know i can do some help on distribution you're getting you know introduced to you know some some retailers and she said, okay. Two days later, I get a call. She said, meet me at Papa Joe's in Rochester tomorrow. So we go to Rochester, show them our basil, and like knock their socks off and like that. We're in Papa Joe's store. Boom, done. And so those are the kind of things that this network has really, you know, just not, it's just their money helps, but everything else helps. I mean, the amount of time some of these people have spent with me and with Amy just helping us craft our business or help our skills and help. It's been incredible. You know, it's just really been a incredible help. Yeah. And now they're, they're helping to raise funds to scale our business. So after you, after you raised pain, painstakingly raised all the funds you needed to get started, 
Um, what do you do? How do you get? How do you get it built? Because it's one thing to come up with a plan and then raise the money, and it's another thing to actually build it out. Well, I mean, the, the building that we was in pretty good shape, so there wasn't a whole lot. Uh, and the reason, I mean, whoever owned it prior to Camps owning it uh, had done a pretty good job of decommissioning the building, so all the valuables were taken out of it, so people wouldn't come <laughs> in and scrap it. Yeah, that's a good. Um, that's a good so plan. we had to go back and we had to put some plumbing in. We had to put, you know, there was some there was some basic electric in it. We had to put a lot more electric in, um, but it just it took a lot longer to get this little bit of work done than I thought. And so we burned through quite a bit more capital, you know, working capital than what we thought we were going to do. But it took, you know, what we thought was going to take from August until December took them from August until March, you know, so we had. Isn't it amazing? Sport. It always takes longer. Yeah, so. Same with rehab. If you ever rehab in a house, it no, always no. takes longer. You're like, I'm going to yeah. get done 30 days. Yeah. That doesn't happen. No, no it doesn't. No, so. Never does. So anyway, but we took that. And then at the same time, we installed the growing systems. And um, and because we, we spent more money on the on that part of it, we weren't able to light up as many of the vertical growing systems as what we'd wanted to. So that's, that's where we are today. So. Yeah. What about the human capital? Obviously you had to train, had to, had to scout, recruit, yeah. get you all know, these bright, know, more residents in. So pretty much I have, um, you know, know who I want to go for, you know, who I'm talking to. You know, I know most of the people that, that I want to employ. Um, the training, we do a little bit of training here. Uh, we have a partner farm that we, we've kind of modeled after and we follow their standard operating procedures, uh, over in the, uh, New Buffalo area. They're the first vertical hydroponic farm in Michigan. We're the second and we're the only two at this point. Um, we go over there and they, they most do most of the training. And so they're over there. She'll go over there for three days and, uh, learn the basics and then we just implement it here. So that's awesome. So yeah. you got like your own little training cap with a little yeah. partnership. Yeah. So we got a great partnership with, with Green Spirit Farms out of New Buffalo. Great, great partnership. Do you know their website? Or I'll look up their website. I'll put it in the show notes, folks. Give them a plug. Thank you, Green Spirit, Green Spirit Farms, for for helping out Brightmore. We we really appreciate it. Um, any any problems that that popped up as you were going through this that you had to overcome with the growing? Because I know it's. It's well, not I mean, the same as farming outside, right? There's some challenges and some benefits. Well, where most of your problems outdoors is environmental. Indoors is more human in that we mistakenly don't follow, we don't do something correctly. Uh, there's things that, there's just the way the, the plumbing works, the water works. Sometimes there's connections that come undone that the water stops flowing. And if you don't catch it within, 24 to 36 hours it fries the plants you know so things like that it's it's happened uh, but you just got to be diligent and you learn from those mistakes and now you and you put measures in place that you know you make sure that you go you know go home at night the water is all running and all the trays. <laughs> check in, everything. You, you come in in the morning the first thing you check is the water make sure everything is running i bet because yeah. you know the plants can do without light for a while they can do you know for a long time, but they can do without water for only probably at the most thirty six hours. Yeah, that's um, pushing it. Yeah, and, and and especially if the lights are running, you know, because they're, they're some of the, the one type of light will put out quite a bit of heat. So, mm. man, that's that's a pretty sweet thing. And you're selling everything you have right now. Right now, you know, my cooler's empty, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> or it will be tomorrow after we make deliveries. But yeah, so we're selling everything we can grow. And, uh, you know, I've got places that want to order more. I have new places that want to order. And they just, we just have to just 
tell them to hold on. Yeah. So, so at, at your current rate of, so you mean you're selling, so you're not have a problem selling. You're getting to good market prices. Mm-hmm. You have, how long do you think it's going to take you to, if you, if you don't get a capital infusion to, um, grow the business and let's say double what you're doing right now. Well, we can't grow the we can't grow the business without some sort of capital infusion. Okay, it's it's, it's impossible. The capital cost, the capex stuff, cost of stuff is pretty expensive. You know, it's you know, like a farmer has to buy a tractor and that's a couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, we're talking about a a tower that you know several thousand dollars. Yeah, so, so it's a it's it's pretty capital intensive. That's why you don't see a lot of people doing it because number one, you don't have people that are that want to do it and uh and then find the right people that are doing it you know to, to raise the money is pretty difficult so um but we should you know if everything if everything goes according to plan in the next several weeks we should have uh six more towers lit up by the first of june okay so you're actively working on yeah it. oh yeah and then 15 more towers set up by the first of august oh wow yeah so what increase would that be well it, it'll it'll by going to the next step will be increased by about 125 percent. okay that's substantial the next step after that will be about 180 percent above that damn because uh the back side of our building not only can we put we can put fifteen we can put fifteen growing stations back there. Currently we're at four levels on our growing in our vertical, you know, our space. On that space we can go up to six levels high. And so, you know, you have a third more production out of each one of them, plus you have fifteen more towers compared to eleven that we have today. Yeah, that's amazing. And so that's all in the next six months. That should all happen before the bef- yeah before August. Okay, so hopefully. What do you what? Do, so I know you're growing basil. What are you growing? Well, uh, basil is probably our premier product because you can't find basil the way we grow basil. Oh yeah, that's fresh, fresh, fresh. Uh, you know, and everybody. That's what when it, that's the first product we show any retailer, and their eyes just like bug out of their head because number one. Most places, or in fact, all the places you buy basil, they they have the stem and the leaf, and the le- leaves are generally you know about the size of your thumb, a little bit bigger. With us, we harvest the, we harvest the plant for continuous for about six to eight weeks, so we never cut the stem. We just trim the leaves off from the bottom going up, and we always you know we, the canopy leaves are always continuing to grow, and the next sprouts sprout up. And when we follow that process. The leaves will be anywhere from the size of about half your hand to the whole size of your hand, and so and then we market it in a in a clamshell for just the leaves, or we set in a bag for a restaurant. But it's so fresh and it's so different that you know people just you know, scoff it up. And it, it, the retail the retailers are selling it. If we could triple the volume to them, they would buy it all, mm-hmm. and we just we just can't grow it fast enough. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really you know our, our cool product. I mean they're all cool, but then we grow kale, and uh, it's a special kind of kale. It's a, a blue Scotch kale. It's a smaller. It's oh, not I baby, love that kale. It's not it's yeah. not baby kale, but it's a smaller kale. It's more tender and it's not as bitter, and so it really works well in a salad. It works well in a smoothie. You can saute it, but just for a little bit with a little bit of lemon juice and a little bit of water. It's not like the bigger kale or huskier kale that you can saute for some time. If you saute this for more than a minute, it's going to shrink down to like nothing. But you shrink a, you know, saute it for like 15 to 20 seconds, and it's perfect. Um, 
And then those two products we just clip. We could plant and we can clip and they continue to clip and clip and clip. And we've got one rack that we're going to be taking down next week that's been growing kale since last October. And we've been, har- we've been harvesting it every single week. I love week. you, Kale. Yeah. And we've been harvesting that every single week. And today we just harvested and we got 18 pounds uh, out of that, 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 that vertical growing system. So, and then the other thing we grow is what we call our Motown mix. Uh, it's a, a spring mix or gourmet mix of lettuce. And we mix it up a little bit, different types of lettuces go in there. Um, but uh, you can see that the brand name is called Motown mix. And uh, we, uh, that's a, that's, Growing process is a little bit different. It's real systematic. Uh, we plant a seed 11 days before it get, goes into the growing unit. Okay. So on that day, that 11th day, we have a growing unit that's ready to be harvested. So we'll harvest about 70 pounds of lettuce. And that, that, that lettuce has been in there for 21 days. That's all it takes to go from a sprout to harvest in 21 days. And that vertical growing unit will get about 70 to 80 pounds out of that. And we can harvest, we do that 17 times a year in that vertical That's amazing. Yeah, that's just pumping it out. So that's that's one of the big differences in us compared to a, a earth farmer in that we get 17 harvests a year. They might, if they're really good, in California they get four. four. If they're really good here, they might get two. Yeah. Two is all I count on. I occasionally get like part of a third. Yeah, depending, depending on, what on the, the weather, what's the spring and the fall are like. Yeah, you know? but it's really limited. Yeah, and so uh, the other thing is that if you think about it, what we have in one vertical growing tower is thirty six square feet. There's four growing trays. In that space, there's about eleven hundred plants. Okay, man, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of plants. If you, you take you take that same number of plants out to a farm or earth farm it's going to take 3700 square feet to, for the same number of plants so you think about that an acre is 45,000 square feet so in our 11 units that we have in our building in 1500 square feet we have the equivalent of an acre of land yeah in our building and we harvest 17 times a year which is amazing yeah that's the that's truly what the benefit really is. Yeah. It's reliable too. So it's consistent. I mean, yeah, weather's not reliable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the terrible things about being a farmer. Yeah. If you ever grow outside, you you know if if you don't get enough hot, your cucumbers are going to suck. I mean, it's just some things require heat, some things require cool, some things require require shade. And if you don't get it, guess what? You're not getting it. That's right. Nice thing about growing indoors is you're getting it every 21 days. That's amazing. That's a yeah. 70 to 80 pounds. Yeah. And that's every 21 days? Every 21 days. Yeah. yeah. Boy, oh, boy. You're pumping it out over there. What do you think the future holds? Like, can you are you projecting 10 years in the future what you want to do? Well, I hope I won't be doing this for 10 years. <laughs> Hopefully I'll, I'll cash out and one of the people I've employed will buy it or something. So, um, yeah, we got plans for – Multiple locations uh, around Detroit. Excellent uh, expansion, and uh, whether it be another location in Brightmoor, which would probably be the f- we'd probably expand, we'd probably get another facility in the same general area where we are today, and then look at other spaces around the metropolitan area where we do the same thing. You know, we I've got relationships with other neighborhood organizations uh, like the Osborne neighborhood and Cody Rouge and places like that that are, you know, there's some interest there that they would like to see something like this in their, in their neighborhood. Um, so, you know, maybe that's you know, something that might hold out in the, in the future is to kind of branch out that way. 
That's exciting. And if somebody wanted to buy your products and they live in Metro Detroit, I know they can go to Whole Foods. Is that the Detroit Whole Foods or all Whole Foods? It's, it's, right now, it's only the downtown store, the midtown store in Whole Foods. Um, and then uh, we're at uh, four of the Westbourne, or th- I'm sorry, three Westbourne stores, which is in downtown Dearborn, Livonia on Middle Belt, and then on Woodward and Berkeley. Uh, we're at four of the Bush's stores. There's uh, one on Main Street and one on Green Street in Ann Arbor. Uh, in Plymouth on Sheldon and Five Mile, uh, they're there. And then in Farmington on Drake Road. Um, and then Papa Joe's in uh, Birmingham and uh, Rochester. And then uh, the Red uh, red Truck Produce in the Gratiot Market down in the Eastern Market area. And then uh, City Market, also the Milliner Center, you know, carries some of our products. Man, you're so, selling. You're doing a good job. Yeah, so. Selling the hell and out of it. There's a couple of restaurants, too. I mean, Rose's Fine Foods on East Jefferson and Republic downtown and Triple Nickel in, in Birmingham. So there's got some great, you know, good customers, loyal customers, and they help us out. Do you think you're going to grow anything different in the future? Or are you just going to yeah, stick there's with a lot your of, basic there's a, there's, three? I mean, there's, there's some things that lend themselves to this. There's you know, other products that don't, like, you know, carrots and potatoes, you know, aren't. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> but, uh, you know, spinach, we'll definitely do spinach. And uh, we can do bok choy. Yeah, we'll probably do that. You know, we're testing over in New Buffalo right now a bok choy and kale mix where they can bag it up and use it for a, uh, a smoothie mix or a juicy mix. Um, I love aru- arugula. Right we can do arugula. Uh, there's uh, there's a type of uh, radish that a- radish and a type really? of really and, and a type of beet that actually grows above the the board. They actually, I had no idea. I didn't either. But it that's amazing. Cr- it actually creates its own little support systems where the roots go down into the water, but the the meat of the of the vegetable grows above. It's kind of interesting. Um. And then we're going to stay away from uh, right now, for right now anyway, peppers and cucumbers and tomatoes because um, they're they're a it takes a different environment. It's a pollination process that greens don't take. Yeah. Um, so there's a little more complication there. So yeah, pollination is a problem. That's yeah. that is why most and, people grow know, with, greens. And, and, and you hear, people don't realize this, but NAFTA has affected agriculture as well especially that on tomatoes oh, yeah. cucumbers and and peppers and right now there's there's a glut of all that stuff I mean, if you go into forgotten harvest you see racks and racks and racks of tomatoes that have not been sold that come have come right from the, the, the greenhouses in ontario yeah, it's amazing. I, yeah. I think I swear to God, half of canada is a greenhouse they just like grow everything yeah and the rest comes from mexico have you had any problems? Because it seems, although it seems farming is coming back for a long time, though, it seemed like farming was kind of looked at. I don't want to say looked, you know, it was looked down on, I, I would say, for, for a lot of people, at least generational. It wasn't an occupation. What the average farmer, I think, is 60 or 58. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, it, old, way too yeah, old. Yeah, way, way too old. Need and, some replacements here. And there's not many farmers' children that want to take over the farm. Well, yeah. All the debt, all the hard work, yeah. the shrinking wages. Well, and the other side, too, is, is farming's changed. I mean, when I, I grew up out in Iowa, I mean, we, we was a small town, 9,000 people in the town. It was an agricultural town. When we lived out there, the farmers, you know, they grew their, you know, their, their corn and the soybeans, but they also grew, you know, the green beans and the sweet corn and everything else that went into the 
two or three canning factories that were in the town. Well, with all the subsidies in soybeans and corn, the farmers have all gotten out of, at least in the Midwest, have all gotten out of production of consumable product because of the subsidies from the government. And to me, you're subsidizing the wrong product. You're absolutely, yeah. You should be subsidizing products that's nutritious and, and whole and goes into the, the body of the, of the individual. The money, man. got to follow the because money. Because that helps on the medical side that you're subsidizing the medical and people you're feeding people all this processed food that comes from corn starch and corn syrup and everything else that's causing all the health problems that we have. So it's, it's backwards to me anyway. And, and so Would food manufacturers be putting sugar in everything if it was more expensive? Meaning if it wasn't subsidized. A lot of people don't realize that most of the sugar they eat is corn sugar. Corn syrup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because corn is so heavily subsidized. subsidized. Yeah. They wouldn't be trying to jam it. If they had to pay market prices for sugar, they would probably put significantly less in there because it wouldn't be as profitable to to sweeten it up. Yeah. So, I mean, we had family members that were were farmers, and they've gotten out of it. They've got into the – big uh, containment hog growing facilities and stuff like that. And, you know, his health, you know, he's like, you know, he, when you have to go into a, into a facility that's growing product that you're wearing a gas mask, to yeah, go in a, that's an environmental suit to go yeah. into. Okay. If you're trying to keep that out of your lungs, what about the animals in there that's breathing that same stuff? How, how's that stuff getting into their body? And then we end up eating that meat. You know, so he, he finally he got out of that bracket. Good. I'm glad. That's amazing. A lot of people say you are what you eat and then they don't, you are what your things eat too, right? Yeah. If you're eating pig or yeah. put it together, folks. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to eat meat, make sure that it's grown in the field, you know, grass fed, you know, and even, you know, people say, well, you need to have hog, you can find a hog fight. That's baloney. No, it's bullshit. You know, yeah. Trichinosis, you know, that's what the whole the thing you had to eat, eat, eat your, your Heat yeah, we have thermometers now. It's real easy to cook meat yeah. and hit a safe temperature. It's just fine. <laughs> anyway, so and there's a lot of good. There's a lot of great farmers around Michigan that are doing all the great practices for for pork and for beef. So I mean, you, you can find it. You got to look for it. Yeah, you do got to look but for you it. Can find it. Yeah, it's certainly out there. So you're not having too many problems finding the right people to put in in to grow food for you no okay that's good that gives me some hope of course 13 10 to 13 dollars an hour is not bad either that's hell yeah for for not needing to know much and just being reliable that's a pretty hefty start in life you know you can flip burgers for a lot less and it's not as pleasant a work environment i don't think yeah so or as healthy i just just think it's the right thing to do yeah well i enjoy i certainly enjoy that that you're doing it and you put it together. Is there anything like, I mean, you might as well, I got about 250 regular listeners now and who knows it'll be in six months. If you had a wish, now would be a good time to throw it out there. You never know. They might be listening to it in a year or two and they might reach out and contact you. Well, go to one of the retailers and look for artesian foods, yeah. artesian farms, folks, artesian farms. Yeah. And uh, it's got a little green label. It says grown in Detroit for goodness sakes. And it's got a little bright more, brand on it as well that's good marketing by the so, way jeff i like that so um but you know that's just it man and i think what i would say is support you know just local businesses i mean the whole local business concept you know what's going on um is powerful because it, it, it the money circulates through the community 
And uh, that really has an impact on on the city of Detroit. And that's one of the things you see happening in the uh, culinary world, in the restaurant business, is a lot of these new restaurants that are starting up and have started up over the course of the last couple of years, they have on their plate to buy local products as much as they can. And the state of Michigan, through uh, Pure Michigan, has a program called Cultivate Michigan. And there are getting institutions like universities and schools and hospitals to commit to buying 20% of their food products from Michigan-based companies. And some of those, some of the institutions are taking that to heart. And, and, and that, that has big implications. I met with one big buyer, and she, you know, she kind of knocked me over. And she said, well, we buy 100 pounds of lettuce a day. I'm like, well... Well, okay. that's a lot of lettuce. I, lady. Need, I need to double the size of my building. So, but th- <laughs> you know, those are the kind of things that when you think about that's it, that's a lot of lettuce. That's com- that's that's a hundred pound of lettuce that's coming in here. It's coming in from California. That could be coming right here from the city of Detroit. And that's you know, that's a couple. You know, if you think about that over a year, that's an employee or two. Yeah, you know, so that's a lot. Well, a lot of people wonder what they can do if they're concerned about the carbon cycle which i think you should if you go back to the quote you know the the whole point you know, we should not forget that it'd be just as important oops wrong one sorry folks i'm reading the wrong one these bits of jamming me up ipad on the Evernote. anyway you we want our grandkids and our, our, our great grandkids to sit in the shade of the trees we planted of which we never benefited from one of the ways you can contribute to the carbon cycle buy food grown closer that doesn't necessarily mean it'll be better, but for the most part, it will be less carbon will be have expended. And also, you know, you don't like what people are doing or how they're paying their farm workers or how they're treating them. Just shop somewhere else. It's not all of this is outside of your power. Um, as we wrap this up, I'm having a great time, by the way. Um, this was a really difficult thing to do. There's a reason why most people don't do it. You're you're kind of pioneering something too. It'll be way, way easier in 10 years compared to what you did now. Um, if somebody was interested in doing something like this, or um, if you had any advice or any books or podcasts or, or however, however you learn, it sounds like you did a lot of networking. Uh, what do you think is, has helped you be as successful getting this started? And if you would mind sharing it with everybody. I mean, for a, for somebody that's interested in doing this or anything really because you had to overcome a lot of adversity i mean this is this is probably one of the toughest things you you can do one of the reasons banks aren't going to land on this kind of thing anyway but it is pioneering it's it's you have to me number one you you have to do a lot of research on it you you have to understand you got to research and this is true of any business you got to research what channel you're in and what your business is and kind of research it from start to finish uh, and pull it together. At the same time, you need to have a network of people that can support you. They can support you with their talent. They can support you with their financial commitments uh, and, and, and other things like that because that will make your job easier. And then find people that are already doing it to help. Um, and I, those are probably the, the easiest things I think to, would be they would have made my job easier. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is a capital intensive business. Yeah. I mean, farming is a capital intensive business, uh, whether it's our kind of farming or, you know, a field farmer, it's capital intensive and people are, you know, financial institutions are not accustomed 
to lending into this marketplace. Um, that's what I mean. There are organizations out there that are farm related funders, uh, but even that, this is new to them. So we got to figure out everybody who's financing these John Deere tractors and these big outbuildings and figure out how we can convince them to, hey, this is the same thing. It's just different, you well, know? But you see, here's the, here's the rub on that. They don't want this to be successful. Oh, well. Okay. Sounds like an opportunity for disruption. Exactly. They They're going to go it. away. <laughs> the big the big pesticide companies, chemical companies, don't want this to be successful. Why? Because we don't have to buy pesticides anymore. We don't have to buy fertilizers anymore. We don't have to. We don't have to buy a, you know one of these huge tractors anymore, and all the equipment. Mm-hmm. Other so, it and and you got people that are you know in the land business that you do that. You all of a sudden you condense an acre of land into fifteen hundred square feet. You know that's contrary to what their their success is. They're being pretty short sighted. I don't think we can even grow a fraction of the world's food if we filled every building full of food. There, I think they're really worried about things that. You know, and we're going to need how many more people are we going to have? I mean, Two billion, yeah, I mean, there's lots of opportunity here. And, well, and I, I don't remember the exact statistic on this, but I'll throw a number out there and it's probably plus or minus 10 either way. I'm going to say 80% of the arable land, the farmable land in the world is already being farmed. There you go. And is I, that not, not that's not the enough? right number, but it's it's somewhere in that it's proximity. A lot. It's somewhere yeah. in that proximity. So uh, there's not many forests left no. to cut down. No, I mean, there's not you, much. Think about it. Look at what's gone on in, in Brazil. Yeah, it's I mean, just it, a, it, with a the crying and shame. And yeah. it, you know, that's for a different purpose. That's more for cattle for mining. But and in, mining. In, in, it has an agriculture in Argentina, you know, where they've cut down a lot of forests. Yeah. It's crazy. It's uh, there's lots of opportunity here. Is there anything that I didn't go over or that you wanted to put out there? And now would be the opportunity for that. Yeah, so I think you pretty much touched on the gamut here. Yeah, man, I had a good time. Thanks for coming out. I really appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff Adams, Artesian Farms. You should definitely check him out. Thank you so much for coming out today. I really appreciate it. Artesianfarms.com. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash Artesian Farms Detroit. And hit him up on Twitter, Artesian Farms. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Glad I do it. Yeah, and if you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, give it a like. Share it across the internet. It really does help. It's a free podcast. If you wouldn't mind, too, if you really like the podcast, rate on iTunes or Stitcher. I really appreciate it. If you have any comments or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you are interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And yes, I will get these videos up sooner or later, probably later, but I'm working on it. I have an angle. Go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And you know what's coming as I wrap this podcast up. I want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know I say it every week. It's because it's important. I care. Pick a goal. Stick with it. I know you're surrounded by poisonous people, bad habits, bad starts in life, mistakes, whatever. I get it. Just pick a goal. Stick with it. Do something every day that gets you closer, even if it's one step. I want to thank you for listening. I really do appreciate your attention. I know you could be doing lots of other things right now. Until I catch you on the next podcast, crush it.